Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Pass to Booker. One hand over to Alec. Let's 15. Drives in the lane. Off balance. You are locked on jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On Jazz for the 16th of September. Alec Burks, a major role on this year's team or the forgotten man? We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll look at the SI's final top 10 and cross over with DJ Foster of the LA Clippers Locked On Clippers show. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. So glad to have you with me. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I wanted to open the show I, every year. Uh, one of the programs I instituted, probably what I'm most proud of uh, when I became the radio voice of the team, is shortly thereafter uh, we built an internship program. Uh, it has become the primary feeding system to all talent in uh, the market. Greg Rubel has a great program as well, and the two of us, I think have pretty much accounted for just about anyone who's 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 kind of a young up and comer, and it really it's probably what I'm most proud about. And yesterday was the day where I sat down and interviewed everyone, and uh, I hear all the time uh, about the fact that you know this generation is all these. It's not true. Like these were great kids, uh, crazily, cra- pro- unquestionably the best group we've ever interviewed. Uh, maybe words out on what the network. Or what the uh, – that was a good slip right there uh, – what the program does for you. So I don't know, but it was really – it was a pleasure. Uh, I enjoy it. There's, we'll choose five of them today, uh, and they will be uh, the broadcast assistants for the season. And just – but really it was an impressive group more so uh, than anything else, which was, which was really cool to kind of see that and uh, experience and those people um, – and you know, you know, it's you hear you hear all the stories. It's just not true. These kids, these kids were great. So anyway, just wanted to share that with you. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Uh, this is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. There are incredible shows floating around the network right now. If you're an NBA fan, Josh Lloyd's uh, Lockdown Fantasy Basketball has been uh, doing amazing work with pre- team previews on. Just about every team. Uh, this was crossover week, so the Heat and the Hawks got together. The Magic and the Knicks got together. Uh, there's really uh, the Thunder got together with Anthony Slater, who's now writing for the Bay Area. Uh, he's not a part of the network, but he's still there. Uh, the Warriors got together with the Blazers, so there's great content. You know, you can subscribe to just the NBA channel if you'd like. Uh, over on the NFL end of things, Matt Williamson does a fabulous show called Locked On NFL, uh, and that's available for you. And then you have the Jets this morning reacting to the defeat of Buffalo. Matthew Fairbairn will be uh, shortly behind with Locked On Bulls. 
uh, Locked on Bills. And there's a really neat show, by the way, called Locked on the NFL Draft, where these guys actually came to me and said, we can do this. And I was like, you're crazy, and you're going to make no money. Uh, and they're actually doing really well, so uh, appreciate them. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, we always start our show with Pins Across the World, which is your story about how you became an NBA fan uh, and uh, where you are that you are listening. We're kind of going back through the archives. Uh, throughout. The, I have a collection. I'll start randomly selecting them over the years. Uh, you know, it's great fun to listen. I have heard that some of you uh, are having an issue across the country starting yesterday with down with getting the podcast at weareutahjazz.com. Please let me know if that's still true, and uh, maybe going directly to Audio Boom uh, is the answer. All right, let's go to Raymond uh, and greetings from, oh, well, Sarpsburg, Norway. My name is Raymond. I've been a jazz fan since the spring of 94. At the time, I was 17 and li- living at home with my parents in Lingal which is located about as far south as you can in Norway. We had recently bought a satellite dish, and one night I was trying to find some new channels. I stumbled over a channel that was used to distribute U.S. sporting events to Europe. On this frequency, there was a lot of basketball, and since it was not an official channel, there were no commercial breaks. I got to hear everything the announcer said during the breaks. Yeah, that is like the worst nightmare ever. Remember those broadcast assistants I mentioned? They could tell you a few stories about what I say during commercial breaks. Uh, I start, Don't ask them, though. I started watching the NBA, immediately got hooked. The Jazz caught my attention after getting familiar with Stockton, Malone, and Sloan. I never looked back. Today I watch games online, listen to several podcasts, including yours. For the biggest matches, I get up in the middle of the night and watch them live. The rest I watch the next day. Thanks for keeping me and, and the rest of the world up to date every day relating to the Jazz. So that's Raymond in Norway. That's cool. Uh, thanks very much for that. You can email me your pin at dlock09 at gmail.com. All right, our tip-off story of the day is Alec Burks. Actually, this is I'm stealing uh, a really interesting conversation that I had with uh, a member of the Jazz staff about AB and kind of, uh, you know, what's to expect it from him, how much of an upside does he still have, where is he in his career progression. Um, it's a really interesting uh, question. So the first thing I would say is on Alec is all of this is stemmed on it. You know, is he ever, does he get healthy uh, from all of the past injuries and then can he stay healthy? That, that really is the issue more than any other issue on, on the table. I mean, we can, we can talk about everything, but fact is he never got right last year. He ne- he never really came back. And, and then the secondary issue is, you know, can he find a way to play in which he stays healthy. So, and and I think the other question that is legitimate is a mental issue of whether or not he can still play with some of the reckless reckless abandonment that he's had in the past. And um, and so those that's probably the primary issue. And and really, probably next week when we when we do our positional shows, this very well could probably be um, the shooting guard show on Alec. Uh, and then. And then we dig into two things that I think are really interesting on Alec. One is he's still just 25 years old. He's just still, he just turned 25. He's still very young. He's played 58 games in the last two years. And if you go to the last full season he had, his shoot, he, everything jumped. I mean, he, he shot 46% that year. He shot 35% from three. Since then, he's increased the amount of three-point shots he takes, and he shot 38 and 41%. I mean, a lot of these things are trending really, really well for him. However, some other aspects are not. Like, if you just look at statistically, 
He last year was a negative pack player at minus point five. Um, he still, for a shooting guard, is only taking set. Last year, he only took seventeen percent of his possessions as a three, which is a pretty low number. Um, it's one of the lowest numbers of anyone in the NBA, and um, and that's an uptick uh, f- for a little bit from the year before. Was at sixteen percent. And to his credit, he shot the same amount of free throws as he did the year before. He was at thirteen point nine percent of his possessions were at uh, at the line, which is high. Which is you know that's what lets him have some frequency. But so in the last three years, he's gone from 12.5 percent of his possessions as threes to 16 to 70. He's really got to be up over 20, 25 percent of his possessions. He uses our threes. Rodney Hood, just in contrast, is at 38 percent. Gordon Hayward, who's not a particularly high volume, is at 25 percent. It's pretty hard at this point to be below 25 percent and play this position. So that's the first. So now let's look ahead toward Alec. That's that's who he is. The first thing I would say is, from his standpoint, there has to be a little bit of an evolution on who he is as a player and what is going to make him successful. And so that's probably the first one I'm talking about is, you know, the amount of possessions he uses to shoot the three, um, which is nicely improved from 17 to 23 to 24, whatever I just said, you know, is or I have it lower because I'm including turnovers in this um, of his possessions. That was his field goal percentage. Uh, So back to the number I was using. Sorry about that. That was confusing. I just looked up at a different screen. Uh, And I have him at 18%. He's he's got to up that number. So the first thing he's got to do is, I think, change a little bit of how he plays or at least change his thought process on how he plays. And what I mean by that is he's really a much better shooter than I think he gives himself credit for. You know, if I talk to Alec and I ask him, and I've done this before and I won't do it again because it's probably been done enough times, but, you know, do you think you're a better shooter off the bounce or do you think you're a better shooter on a catch-and-shoot? He'll say he's a better shooter off off the bounce. It, it actually hasn't manifested itself to be true in most of his career. He's he's actually the opposite. He's actually a pretty darn good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Last year he was at 41% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's got to be thinking that probably – a little bit more than he ever has before. Then part two of that is the drive to the basket, opening up those opportunities. That's where things also get interesting. He's not as good of a rim finisher as as we think he is. Um, the amount of times he finishes at the rim has obviously dr- dropped immensely in the last two years, probably trying to prevent some injury. And then the rate in which he's finishing is way down. He was at 64% three years ago, 51% the shoulder year, and 57% last year. That's not actually that good. So what part of the excitement of Alec and the fabulousness of Alec is the Houdini that Bowler talks about, but that's actually leading him into circumstances that, that are not necessarily productive for him to be scoring. So there has to be a little bit of an evolution of his game of one, understanding what he's good at two, uh, understanding where he might be better than he realizes and three, understanding how his game works for teammates. And this is the third one. If you're being at all critical. Uh, and that is that, you know, people have said it's very hard to play with Alec because they don't know where he's going with the ball. And if he doesn't know where he's going with the ball, there's no way his teammates can react to how um, to where he's going to go with the ball. And then that ends up making it you know, very difficult uh, for his teammates to play with him. And, and the one area statistically where Alec is still lacking is that he helps his team um, a great deal. Now, 
let now with with that all said, okay, um, and we and we can look at that, you know, however however you want or whatever. Th- those are those are kind of where now. Let's take one other angle on this and look at it a little differently, and that is Alec has never ever played on a spread floor. So last year Trey Lyles spread the floor, but by the time Lyles was a good enough player to spread the floor, Alec was injured. Prior to that, Alec's stretch fours were Derek Favors and Trevor Booker. He played a tiny bit with Steve Novak for a period of time, but not really. And and Ennis Kander and Derek Favors were the stretch for were the bigs in the year in which uh, he got most of his time. And so now all of a sudden you look at a guy who's a driver, who really is a pretty good catch and shoot player. As we're talking about, who's a driver, who's a creator. He's a he's an unbelievably good one decision driver in other words if he's coming to the rack and one he's got to make one decision i'm either beating this guy or I'm, he's giving up his man i'm dish he's very very good he i don't know this some coaches have told me this he's evidently less good if it's a multiple decision play beat one guy react to the next you know most guys are uh but this is a guy who's an unbelievable uh first step insane ability to get by the opening man. Well, now, wait a sec. Now put him on a floor where there's space, where there's openings to the basket, where he's got room. Now, does he become a completely different player at that point? And that's what be so interesting about Alec. Again, this all stems back to his own ability to get healthy. But if Alec can, you know, add that aspect to his game where suddenly you know, he's on the floor with players that stretch. So he comes off the bench with Joe Johnson, and Joe Johnson slides to four. He comes off the bench with Trey Lyles, and Trey Lyles is playing for He's coming off the bench, and he's playing with Dante Exum, Joe Johnson, and Trey Lyles. And all of a sudden, here we go. Now, the other aspect to him, though, is going to be a mid-range game that he's going to have to develop and play on balance because that's not been an area where he's been great. And this is just part of it. Again, this is part of the natural development he would have gone through that he didn't really get a chance to last year and the year prior because he got hurt. But as good as his three-point shooting is, um, his ability in the mid-range, he's about a third. He's what the league is below league average. League average is about 37. He's been about 32, 33% as a kind of in that 3 to 16 foot area. Uh, two years ago, he shot, I think, 30%. And last year, he was... Something similar to that. So, okay, there. Then once you have the floor spaced and you have this, now you're going to have to add this aspect to your game of what do you, how when you can't get to the rim, what are you doing? Last year he shot 33%. The year prior he shot 30%. That's an area. But this is an area he's never had a chance to develop, largely because there's been no room. And so this is, I think it's a very interesting process. Again, he's got to get healthy and then stay healthy to be able to have a run. And he's got to play the game with a little bit more, what I would say, predetermined knowledge of what he's going to do. Uh, Sometimes I think he gets the ball and he's not quite sure. And so it slows down the ball movement that's so important to Quinn. and, uh, And that in turn, you know, then... When he then reacts, as we were talking about earlier, it's hard on some of his teammates because they're not entirely sure uh, where he and what he's going to do uh, from there. So anyway, that's that's really the the breakdown on Alec. I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, I really it was, and I 
I'm stealing, as I often do, a lot of this from conversations I've had with people, so I give them credit. I don't say who they are, and then I steal their ideas, and I feel good, and then they walk up to me, and they're like, gosh, that was my words coming out of you, or my thoughts coming out of your, in your voice, um, and they give me a hard time about it. But I, I thought it was a, it's an interesting perspective that Alec really has just never played on a roster or a team that has given him an opportunity to show his best skills. All right, let's go to the SI uh, top 10 before we're joined by DJ Foster of Locked on Clippers. Fun conversation uh, along the way. By the way, Utah Jazz season tickets are available for you in this upcoming year still. Uh, They're going to announce the uh, renovations, uh, and you're going to hear about that coming up, and it's absolutely amazing, particularly on the Upper Bowl. I hear the experience is going to be dramatically changed uh, for you. Uh, that's for the year from now, but Upper Bowl seats for this year are $6. Lower Bowl are $42. If you buy season tickets, you get an eight-day, seven-night stay in Mexico. Uh, best seat locations available in each section. You access to exclusive events. Visit utahjazz.com or call 801-355-DUNK. You want to be a part of this season. If you don't can't find someone to if you don't want all 44 games, or you can't find someone to share with uh, go ahead and uh, get the season 22 or 11 game plan. The other one I would tell you check on this. I think when you buy season tickets, they'll give you a chance to buy single game seats uh, before the uh, rest of them go on public go public. I don't want to get into the details of what I'm thinking there, but there's some two, two things. One is that if you share tickets with somebody and they have a one, two, you know, the one Warrior game or the one Cavalier game you want to really go to, you probably can get, I think, an extra pair or two for that game so that you all can go. There's probably some other things you can do well if you're really smart. So I just want to leave that out for you. Uh, anyway, uh, by the way, also, if you'd like to advertise on this program, you are more than welcome to because that's what We like it's free, and um, we appreciate it if you support us by letting us support your company. Uh, There are a few spots still available coming up. The advertising rate's going to – you you will feel a change starting next week, by the way, uh, coming up here on the – or the week after next on this program. So just uh, a heads up. Uh, There are a few spots available coming into Thanksgiving if you want to advertise. Uh, It's men between the ages of 18 and 54. And uh, great uh, listener reaction. You guys are amazingly loyal to the program and our sponsors, and we really appreciate that. You can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. All right, let's wrap up the SI Top 100. ESPN will, I think, be doing ESPN rank here soon, so we'll do this again. Uh, Blake Griffin at 10. Uh, after missing 47 games last year, I think you still got to remember how great he is. 21 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. It's funny. We don't talk about it a lot with DJ coming up. Number 9 is Paul George. It's an interesting – I have never been – I've been slow on the Paul George bandwagon. Um, I understand the athleticism and the amazing skill, and um, and he got better last year, and um, I probably should be more supportive. Um, but it's interesting. I, I think sometimes – I guess – and I, I guess this is a homerism on my part, um, where I sometimes feel as though – and maybe if I'm in Indiana, I would hear this. The love affair with Paul George compared to the constant yearning for more out of Gordon Hayward, to me, is it's an interesting uh, switch. Now, uh, there's no, you know, uh, and for all sorts of, offensively, they're the exact same. One is a .7 pack player. The other is a .6 pack player. Um Everyone can try to tell me all the reasons why they're not. I'm here to tell you it's not true. Um, they they are remarkably similar um, in 
in kind of how they play and or what they do uh, on the floor. Uh, Gordon goes shoots 25% of his shots from three, goes to the free throw line 13% of the time. So, uh, you know, on the on how you do things most efficiently. Uh, Gordon shot, uh, last year I think shot 35%, 34 or 35% from three. Paul George uh, goes to the, takes 29% for three, goes to the free throw 11% of the time. He shot 37% uh, from three. He, he averaged 23, seven and four. Pretty awesome. Gordon was less than that. There's So there is... Um, but if you start waiting for pace of play and some things, it gets closer. Uh, Paul George is better than Gordon. There's no question. I think I'm at. I think I'm pretty willing to go there. Um, I'd probably be the only person who's not. But I think it's interesting to me on on where they are and that the, how much of a gap it feels like. Um, part of this, Paul George became rightfully so a sympathetic story because of uh, what he goes. But he's pretty awesome, and um, and I'm not trying to discredit that at all. I probably am just trying – it comes off that way. I'm probably trying to just give G uh, a little bit more credit than he gets for where he's placed on things. We could probably go back and, and have a debate on, on whether or not Gordon deserves to be ranked any higher uh, than he actually is. But, I, you know, that's, that's a hard call um, to decide. Uh, I don't know. The one thing is how Paul George was in the clutch last year. I'm looking it up as we speak. And he shot, you know, Paul George shot 37% in the clutch last year and 31% from three and turned it over 14 times. So he's no better than Gordon in that circumstance. I, I, I'm going to hold to my opinion. I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm right on this. Paul George, if you have to choose, I think all 30 teams are taking Paul George over Gordon Hayward. But I also think there's probably, if we really got into it, we'd find out that it's the discrepancy is not as big as everyone thinks it is, and the fact is there are probably some teams in which Gordon would be a better fit um, than Paul George. And I feel the same way about Clay Thompson. I said this the other day. There's no question on the Warriors that Paul George uh, that Clay Thompson is a better player than Gordon Hayward. But I think it's an interesting debate of what you would do with the other 20 teams on who would actually make you a better team. Number eight is Anthony Davis. Number seven is James Harden. Uh, He's been too criticized as well. I mean, only two players have matched have matched since 1970. Only two players have matched his 29.6 rebound, eight assists um, performance. Michael Jordan and LeBron James, truly one of the great offensive players. Kawhi Leonard comes in at six. Russell Westbrook at five. Chris Paul at four. Steph Curry at three. Kevin Durant at two, and LeBron James is the number one player in the NBA, according to SI. Reminder, great crossover editions all across the Locked On Podcast Network are available for you. A lot of fun going on there. Check them out. And Locked On NFL with Matt Williamson is great. Plus, find your favorite NFL team and download that subscription as well. We always appreciate five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast you're using. You guys have been incredibly generous with those to us. It is time to cross over. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On Jazz. And I'm DJ Foster, host of Locked On Clippers. We cross it over today talking about two of the Western Conference teams. They will match up in the third game of the regular season and the third game of the preseason. So, and the fifth game of the preseason also. So there'll be lots of Clipper action, Jazz action early uh, in the year. DJ, we had on Locked On NBA, I think you had this bite on Locked On Clippers, of Kevin Pelton kind of saying... 
yeah, we don't have the Clippers as the third best team in the West anymore. They actually, he had the Jazz in the real plus minus. Is that seem crazy to you? Do you say, yeah, that might they might be on to something? What was your reaction? My reaction was I wasn't ups- I wasn't upset about the Jazz being ranked where they are because I, I really think they could make a leap this year and I could see them being better than the Clippers, but I don't think that necessarily means the Clippers need to take such a big step back. Um, Pelton had them winning, let's see, I think it was 46 games. Does that sound right? I think that's exactly right. Yeah, so 46 games, that would be a seven-game decrease from last year. Coming off a year where Blake Griffin played about half of the season, um, the Clippers brought everyone back this offseason. I just have a hard time seeing them drop off quite that much, and I think you do too, right? Yeah, I don't think it's possible. They're just too good, right? I mean, Chris Paul's still just too good. Blake's still too good. I actually think J.J. Redick in my pack ratings is one of the top 10 offensive players in the league. And so I just have a hard time believing that. Now the question is, you know, is Chris Paul slowing down? There is some point in time here where that that age number is not on his side uh, in any way here. Yeah, I think the my counter for that is that for a long time now, ever since the injuries, the, the knee injury, Chris Paul doesn't really get it done with athleticism and speed so much as he does with footwork and just, you know, this crazy high skill level and his intelligence. So I don't really see a big dip coming from him, even though 31, you start to think, okay, is he going to, you know, slow way down? But he's just someone who doesn't really get it done with this raw athleticism. And he's so smart that I think he'll figure out ways to still stay productive. The interesting about these two teams is they, they truly are coming from opposite directions, right? One is the superstar-laden team that's trying to hold on, and the other one's this young team that is superstar-less that's trying to build up. Here's what I asked. this I, At the end of last year, I asked – excuse me, at the beginning of last year, I asked Doc Rivers, is there a certain point in which a collective group has too many negative experiences together? Hmm. And, you know, you look back at the playoff loss to the Rockets and just some of the Warrior experiences that this Clipper group had, I kind of wondered if that was the case. And he said, yeah, that's why we changed up most of the roster, right? They had changed kind of seven of their 14 players around their core. They didn't do that this year. So the question still, I think, is, is there a point in which the Clippers as a unit have had too many negative experiences from playoff losses to punching out equipment managers that just, just the fabric of this group uh, if just doesn't have the, I don't know, I guess my point would be that they know the pain way too much, right? They know how much effort it takes, and they know how fleeting it can be. Is that a group that really collectively fights it out? Right. I think it's tough because – the window could very well be closing it. And like you said, the Clippers have kind of been teetering on the edge of falling apart for a while now with the whole DeAndre going to Dallas thing and Blake Griffin's incident last year. And I think where it could fall apart is if Chris Paul decides this summer where he has a player option that he can decline to become a free agent. If he decides this summer, look, I am running out of time. I'm 31 years old. I might not have a very big window left. Do I really want to tie myself to Blake Griffin going forward? Uh, It hasn't worked out. We've had all these negative experiences, like you said. For some reason, we just can't get it done. Do I look to head somewhere else? And I think that's 
the one place where this can all kind of fall apart. It's interesting because the opposite is the Jazz, who, talking to Quinn Snyder yesterday and at the end of the interview, which is up on Locked on NBA, I had a – there was this kind of moment in time in which – at the end, you could kind of get what his biggest fear is. And his biggest fear is that for the first time ever, this group has 10 players that are capable of closing games in different ways. And so how is a Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert going to react if we go small and Joe Johnson closes? How are they going to react if a Boris Diaw closes? How is a Rodney Hood going to react if George Hill and Dante Exum close with Gordon Hayward? How, you know, this is this group that never has had enough competition for someone to close. And you've got a group that's dealing with almost too much familiarity. I'm just tired of being with you. <laughs> it is a completely opposite situation, right? And I think that is a good point. Depth is kind of a, uh, a double-edged sword sometimes because it's right. You got to find ways to to get guys to put their egos aside, and and you know starters that think they're going to finish the game aren't always going to close out the game. Do you think the Jazz have the best bench in the league this year? Well, that's what CBS Sportsline said, and it's such an or not CBS Sportsline. Wow, I dated myself. Sorry, Zach Harper and Matt Moore. <laughs> CBSSports.com. Uh, and that was Zach's piece. I actually hope to have him unlocked on NBA next week because yeah. uh, he's done a bunch of great stuff this offseason. Love uh, that. But he, uh, he wrote that. It's hard for me to believe that uh, because, frankly, they might have had the worst bench this side of Philadelphia in the league last year. <laughs> I mean, they really might have. Like, I'm not trying to beat I – like, I love our guys. I'm not trying to beat out them. But the bench last year was Shelvin Mack who had been cut. Right. Chris Johnson who's been cut four times. Right. Joe Ingles, who'd been cut three times. Oh, I love Joe Ingles. We all love Joe Ingles, but the Clippers cut him, and that's how we got him. And the Warriors <laughs> cut him the year before that, and that's how the Clippers got him. Clippers should have never cut him. Jeff Withy, who the Pelicans decided to keep Omir Ashik and Alexis Ajinsa instead of. Right? That was your bench? And, t- and Trey Lyles, who was a rookie. Yeah. And Howell Neto, who was a second-round draft pick, if wasn't you're on your bench, then he was starting. So that was – after everybody got hurt, that was the bench last year. And, I, you know, they did okay. But that might have been the worst bench in the NBA. Now to tell me you have the best bench? It's just you can't wrap your head around well, it this quickly. <laughs> let, let, like, let me go – like, give me the Clipper perspective. You have this veteran-laden superstar. Like, the uh, SI.com is doing top 20 players in the NBA. You're going to have three of them. Yeah. We have none of them. Who? Well, why does anyone think that the Jazz could compete with the Clippers if the Clippers have three of the top 20 players in the NBA? Right, that's a good question. I think defensively is, is why you're so excited about the Jazz, the potential they have. They have a legit one of the top five rim protectors in basketball, maybe the best rim protector in basketball, Rudy Gobert. you got Derek Favors, who's a stud at the four, who seems to get better every single year. I mean, there's size, there's quickness, you can do everything with them defensively, you add a good defensive point guard in George Hill, there's no weak points defensively, right, with this unit. You got Rodney Hood on the wing, who's young and athletic, I mean, they could legitimately be the best defense in the NBA this upcoming season, so I think when you look at potential playoff teams in the West and you try and map it out, where are you going to put one of the best defensive teams? You got to put them at the top four, right? How often do we see a top-five defense, not be a top-four team in the conference. Well, this is what was interesting talking to Quinn. If you listen to the interview on Locked on NBA, is 
I felt this tug of war going inside of him, like we're a defensive team, we're a defensive team, we're a defensive team. And yet for the first time, he has all these lineups he can put out there that are entirely offensive. Right. Right? George Hill, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Joe Johnson with Derek Favors or Boris Diaw as your center. Guard it. Like, guard that. Right. Trey Lyles is your four with Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward. Okay, even Alec Burks come. Like, Dante Exum and George Hill with Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward is your four. He's 235 now. Yeah, he can handle it. Right? Like, I mean, there's all of these lineups that he now has that he can play with that are simply uh, – they're just – I think they're offensive lineups, and how does he stick to making sure that he has a lineup that's a defensive lineup with Gobert, Favors, and the guys you mentioned? Right. I, I think that's the interesting one. It's, it's probably similar to – a little bit of the game Doc has to play, where Doc has this offense that's been top five in the NBA every year, and yet he knows the game is going to a spread game, and he's not spread. Right. Yeah, I think here's the thing with the Jazz that that uh, I want to know. What team do you think they're going to emulate the most? Like, they got some Spurs in there now, former Spur, George Hill. They got Boris Diaw in there. It's going to be really interesting what kind of style they play with, though, right? Because they've always been slow, walk it up, and in some sense they'll still need to have like a heavily scripted game flow. Um, I, I'm just curious to, to see who they play the most like. What do you think? I think they're the Atlanta, if, they're, if all works right, they're the Atlanta Hawks of two years ago. Okay. Right? And, okay. You, and you start looking at the Hawks' win total um, – and what and where they you know they made that big jump. Now it's a sixty win team. I don't I don't think I can honestly project that because that had to do with an Eastern Conference that was that was horrendous that allowed that to happen as well. <laughs> um, the other thing that I think is is unique to that Hawks team, and this is where I think the Jazz are going to head. And sorry, I'm pulling this up kind of uh, as we speak. Is that Hawks team made a enormous with Kyle Korver and Damari Carroll. Uh, they made, and then adding Paul Millsap's three-point shooting, they made a big jump in what percentage of threes they took. They took the fourth most amount of threes that year. At the time, it was 32% um, in 14-15. In uh, by the way, I think that 32% would rank you eighth or ninth last year. The Jazz last year took 28% of their shots as threes. I suspect that this year the Jazz take about 33% of their shots as threes. Okay, so who are you crediting the the uptick with? Joe Johnson will shoot some threes. George Hill will shoot some threes. George Hill will shoot some Gordon threes. Gordon and Rodney just have more. There's just going to be more space on the floor. They've been they've been playing with with non. You know, they were fifteen. They were fourteenth in the league in three point shots last year. Percentage right. of shots taking is three. Uh, I think they get in that top five, and actually that top five has to be thirty five percent. I just think they become they're able to. You know, their stretch fours were Derek Favors and Trevor Booker. Yeah, right. Trevor Booker, great player, great hustle guy, not a stretch four. <laughs> so that's, you know, I think that's where it comes. I mean, what's unique to the Clippers is everyone talks about they don't stretch, but they shot 32.5% of their shots last year's threes. Yeah. So they may not stretch because of Blake, but they're bombing. And the Jazz will be able to stretch if they want to and should be able to bomb. I think, um, I just, I think Rodney's going to, and Gordon are going to, 
launch more than five a game. I think George Hill's going to launch more than five a game. And then you come off with Joe Johnson bombing four or five off the corner three, and Trey Lyles is a three-point shooter, and Boris Dio. Right. I just, I, it's just a raw. I think they're going to shoot a tremendous amount of threes. And frankly, if anyone hasn't noticed, you have to. If you look at the eight teams that took the highest percentage of their possessions that shot threes last year, they all made the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ten of the top twelve, and the Warriors were second, and the Cavaliers were third, and the only team that's higher is the Rockets, and they're jacking with the game. Right. Bad teams just don't create those looks. Oh, uh, it's a good. Yeah. Right. They just don't create them as often. Right. I mean, you got to have someone who can break down a defense, who can make guys collapse, and then you kick out, and you can play drive and kick basketball. Bad teams have a really hard time doing that. You know, and that's Quinn talks about pace of play. And I think Quinn's big point of pace of play, and we're so slow in pace of play, is because we don't have the guys to do exactly what you just said. Yeah. Like, we're pushing the ball ahead. Who's just beating their guy? Right, right. You almost have to have a way more scripted offense when you don't have that dribble, penetrate, slash, and kick sort of guy. Right, and George Hill's, truthfully, if we're about George Hill, George Hill's not that guy. No, absolutely not. Rodney Hood is probably the best of that. Yeah. uh, But... He, it's methodical. It's old. It's the brand, old Brandon Roy style of doing it. Right, and his is coming off of you know a closeout or something like that. He's not necessarily isoing his man and going to work. Right. Right. Hey, big DJ. Uh, time with DJ Foster of Locked On Clippers. I'm David Locke of Locked On Jazz. Make sure you check out all of the Locked On Podcast Network. NBA shows this week have all been crossovers. Next week we're formatting the shows. Mondays we're going to talk about the point guards on our teams. Tuesday the shooting guards. Wednesday the small forwards. Thursday the bigs. Friday, believe it or not, we'll be prepping you for training camp because media day for most teams is that next Monday and we'll be rolling on that. So uh, make sure you grab all that. If you're a football fan, there's a tremendous amount of content led by Matt Williamson's locked on the NFL. Let's go to the league wide for a second. I want just your perspective on the West. It feels like there is this there's this surge up Minnesota, Utah, maybe Denver according to Kevin Pelton, maybe Sacramento if Marcus doesn't go back whatever. Um, and then there's these teams clinging Memphis, Dallas. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Spurs and the Clippers are quite clinging on. They should be safe. They should be safe. What's your guess on kind of which of the young teams make the entire jump up to being, you know, into that group, I guess, probably playoff group is what I'm talking about, and which of those groups that are clinging – the Dallas, Memphis, I don't know what your thought on Houston is, yeah. you know, fall back and, don't, and aren't able to maintain. I'm intrigued Oklahoma by Oklahoma City's probably a clinger, even though they have Russell. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, Houston's really interesting to me. I think they're, they're a clinger too, but uh, if they can somehow manage to stay healthy, they might score 120 points a game. Well, go to your. What did you say earlier? If you're top five de- defensively, you're in the top four. What happens if you're top five offensively? Right, right. Maybe you end up like seventh in the conference. I think they're just barely hanging on. I think if I had to pick one team to fall out of that group, as much as it pains me to say it, uh, probably Dallas. Forty-two and forty last year. Getting older. I never bet against Rick Carlisle. Like, ever, ever, ever. I think he's a brilliant coach. He always kind of sort of finds a way to take these 
veteran hodgepodge teams and make them competitive and make them, you know, playoff contenders. But I think eventually maybe Dirk gets hurt. Maybe he just completely falls off. Eventually they're going to be below 500. This might be the year where they float underneath. I think that would be the one team that I would pick to take a step back. I think Memphis is safe. I think Houston could surprise some people, so I, I would choose Dallas there. I don't feel that way on Memphis, by the way. You don't? No, I, I don't. I don't get Memphis right now. So, one is offensively they're not very good. Yeah. The only thing actually I hear about Memphis is people are raving about Dave Fisdale, raving yeah. about him. Um, Memphis, they're not very good offensively. If you really kind of dig into the numbers, and I run my pack rating on them, they're 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 not exceptional. They they have, they might have a star in Marc Gasol, but I, and I've attested this for a long time. Mike Conley is a pro, not underrated. He's appropriately rated. Yeah, I would agree with he's that. He's not an all-star point guard. That's exactly who he is. He's really, really good. He's not an all-star. Um, but they're not, like, that team's not particularly, like, efficient anymore. Zach Randolph's become a below-average offensive player. Marcus Gasol last year was a below-average offensive player. Mike Conley last year was a below-average offensive player. They're not – and then – so what is their calling card? Their calling card is defense with a 35-year-old Zach Randolph and a 35-year-old Tony Allen, and they have no bench. Have you looked at their depth chart? Oh, my goodness gracious. They've, they've got some interesting names on their bench, for like sure. You, I mean, like, they're a pain in the ass. You've got to, like, take an extra hour and prep them. You've never heard of some of these guys. <laughs> and so I, I don't think Memphis is good this year. I mean, Tony Roten, Vince Carter, James Ennis, Jamichael Green, and Brandon Wright? Yeah. Yeah. I what can... happens? Dallas clearly has done their medical and thinks that Chandler Parsons' leg's going to fall apart. And there's a chance that Portland did it too, by the way. Nobody's talked about this. But Portland had him all but signed up and let him go. So maybe they did the same medical. Yeah. So yeah. so he gets hurt. Who's who's playing in place of Chandler Parsons? <laughs> DJ Stevens? <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean Tony Allen point. is not playing 82 games anymore. No, yeah, those days are done. Those days are done. Mike Conley and Marcus Sol were hurt last year. Their backups are Tony Roten, Wade Baldwin, or Deontay Davis. Right, and you don't know how Gasol's going to look after that injury either. So, I, I Memphis is the team that, honestly, I just think has these names that we're comfortable with and has very – like when they signed Chandler Parsons, I was like, oh, that's incredible. And then I started digging into it. I was like, no, it's not. Okay, here's the counterargument, though. 42-40 and 40 last year, and that roster that they finished the season with had to be one of the worst playoff rosters of all time. Right? I mean, it was just a complete group of these right. D-League guys. They're pulling from everywhere. Just a total uh, mash unit that they brought to a 500 record in a playoff berth. So with Gasola and Conley back healthy, and if Parsons can give you 60 games... It's it's hard to see them taking a big step back, right? No? It's going to be interesting to watch. I hear yeah, exactly I what you're saying. I, 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 see, I think Minnesota's a playoff team. Do you? See, I... I have Carl, but I think Carl Anthony Towns is one of the ten best players in the NBA. Just I under, understand where I'm coming from. I think he's a complete franchise-changing player. In his second year in the league, they will just win games because of him. He's incredible. Um, but I'm a little worried that we're hyping him up to be better than he is 
right now. We're doing the thing that we do when we get an exciting rookie in the league where we, we don't look at any of his flaws. And we've seen this with, with multiple guys. Anthony Davis had it happen. We all expected, oh, they're a playoff team just by way of Anthony Davis being there. Blake Griffin had it happen where everyone you know, thought, oh, he's the best, he's the best, and then they start picking on his flaws, and when he can't bring his team up to the competitive level, they start knocking him down a peg. So I'm a little worried that that may happen to Towns, but I, I agree. Out of out of that group, I mean, he's he has one of the best overall skill sets I've seen from a young player in a long, 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 long time. When, they, when he was being drafted, my comment was, um, I could probably find it and play it, but my comment was that he will win, and he's going to win uh, MVPs when we get bored voting for Anthony Davis. Wow! And I was wrong because Anthony Davis <laughs> is going to win MVPs when we're bored voting for Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, you're you're all in. Oh, I think he's. Yeah, I'm all in. I'm beyond all in. I think he'll be a top five. I mean, I could run my numbers right now. I think he was a top ten offensive player in my numbers last year in the NBA. So playoff, so you got Minnesota making the playoffs. You got Memphis falling back. Anybody else falling out? And and Dallas falls out. And Dallas falls out. So Utah and Memphis get in. And Utah and Minnesota get in. Yeah. Yeah, I I could easily see that. I think out of the teams to get in, I think Utah is pretty close to a lock. Um Minnesota is, is a little bit of a tougher sell, but I don't think any of those. Uh, Phoenix isn't there. Denver's not quite ready yet, um, but I do like the potential they have on that roster. Um, and Sacramento, I just have zero faith in Sacramento to ever figure it out. The most efficient offense players I had, and the best offense players in the league last year, I had Steph, then Durant, then Harden, then Kawhi, then J.J. Redick, then Clay Thompson, then LeBron, then Whiteside, then DeAndre Jordan, so Clipper fans of note. JJ and DeAndre. Actually, then Ennis Cantor. Wow. Uh, well, the dude shot 60% from the field last year. <laughs> That's true. Um, and then Carl Anthony Towns. Wow. Yeah, as a rookie, too. As a rookie. If Carl Anthony Towns improves like I think he will, he will be then in the Steph Durant, Harden, Kawhi, JJ Reddick, Clay Thompson, LeBron, Hassan Whiteside category. Every single one of these players I mentioned, by the way, made the playoffs other than Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And if you keep going, these bi- we undervalue the big that can dunk. Jonas Valanciunas, Dwight Howard are the next two. So the top 16 offensive players, or top uh, 13 offensive players, only one who didn't make it in the playoffs was Carl Anthony Towns. That's why they'll make the playoffs this year. Okay, I like it. And you got Thibs there, so you think the defense is going to be a lot better. Uh, a young core, Ricky Rubio, good defender. Andrew Wiggins is making strides. Yeah, I could easily see it. And I think uh, Houston will be good. I think Houston will be a top five offensive team. Yeah, they got to cut Corey Brewer. That's the only <laughs> thing they got to do. Get rid of Corey Brewer, they'll be fine. Corey Brewer, not not an efficient shot. Oh God, Jesus, Luis. <laughs> I know he runs well, but get him off the floor. He runs very well. Just right. But what happens when we're not running on that possession? (laughs) 
DJ, keep up the great work on Locked On Clippers. Love to have you on the show. Great to have you on the network. This has been a crossover between Locked On Jazz and Locked On Clippers. Thank you to all of our sponsors. If you want to advertise on either program, I'll set you up with DJ. Just email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'd love to have you. This has been a production of the Locked On Podcast Network.